Hey, one quick thing before we get started. I just want to remind you that this podcast is for information, education, and entertainment. It is not a substitute for therapy or therapeutic intervention. If you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or contact a crisis hotline. Hey everyone, it's LaShonda from the Labors of Love podcast. Excited for another episode. Have with me today my co-host, Hedy Nam. Hi, Hedy. Hey, Shonda. Super excited for this conversation. So our guest today is the founder and chief wellness officer of the Exxon Group, the executive director of the Susu House, um, and just the overall dope human being, y'all, uh, <laughs> that I connected with um, through the Loveland Foundation, which is also another amazing foundation. So my guest today is Ashante Renee. Hi, Ashante. Hey, boo. Hi, Ashante. <laughs> Hi, Hedy. Oh. Hey, Ashante. You know, I've been excited to have this conversation for quite a while. And yeah. uh, the listeners should buckle in and be ready because I already know. <laughs> I already know. So I'm going to start with you like we do all of our guests and ask you, what is your labor of love? Okay, so here's what had happened. Um, when I <laughs> already started, when I heard this question, it threw me off. It, it threw it, the, the question threw me off. I'm a, I'm a bit of a word nerd, and so when I heard labor, I went, okay, that feels like work. That feels hard. It feels strenuous. It feels um, like struggle and activation. And then I heard love, and I went. That's actually not how I define love anymore. And I realized um, I don't labor in anything that I do at this point in my life. Everything I do, I absolutely love doing it. I cannot get, I cannot believe I get paid to do what I love. And what I love is to help black and brown women get out of their own head and get out of their own way. Um, and figure out how to create a life that they don't have to escape. Mm. Like that, I I get to do that on a regular basis. And I love it and no part of it feels laborious. Um, no part of it feels like work. Now the admin side, mm, no thank you. Zero stars, do not recommend. But the actual engagement and the, and the purpose of it and the things that I love, like it just, it really hit me. I was like, I don't, I am at a point in my life where I, I do not labor. Mm. And that is such a privilege. That is, that's such a privilege to be able to say, I am at a point in my life where I do not labor. Well, mm. snap, 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 snap. <laughs> for that. If my body just taking that in, that's amazing. That's and so I, it is amazing. And I have so much resonance, like mm -hmm. multiple times a week, no lie. I say, this is my life. Like I literally look around the physical space that I'm in and I'm like, this is my life. I say that when I go to take a nap several times a week in the middle of the mm -hmm. day. I say that when I'm spending time with my kids. I say that when nobody has their fingerprints on my time mm. other than me. I, I say mm. that when the things that I'm doing 
like when something approaches and I get to say no, right? Those are the times when I'm like, this is my life. Wow. You know, we went to Vegas a few weeks ago and Jay was like, like he was so ready to get away. And I was just like, I mean, it's cool. I'm going like, you know, we're going to have a great week. I love that we have just this uninterrupted time together, but I don't need a vacation. And there have Mm -hmm. been times when I've needed a vacation. And I said, oh, absolutely. I don't need a vacation because there's so much ease Mm -hmm. in the life that I live that so, so much resonance and also admin stuff. Ew. Um, Ew. (laughs) And and sometimes it's not even, and and let me be clear, it's I don't have a life of roses, gumdrops, and rainbows. Like life still be life in. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I say it doesn't feel laborious, I love what you said about no one has a fingerprint on my time. Mm-hmm. Like if I am doing something that requires labor or requires work, I chose it. That's it. I, I chose to engage it. I chose to be connected to it. I chose to say yes to it. And to be honest, if I get into the middle of it and I'm not feeling it, I choose to say no. Because I think sometimes we forget, we make a decision with the information that we know at the time and then more information presents itself. So t- then we should be able to change our mind and make a different decision. But people think once they've made a decision about one thing, we have to stick with it no matter what factors change that gave us the idea to make the first decision that we made. Right. And so I, I'm, I'm very like, I'm very aware that there are hard points and hard moments. I'm not saying that those aren't happening in my life because this mm-hmm. summer with all, you know, seven planets in the microwave, it was not, it was some things, some things were thanging. And I still felt like I had so much agency and so much autonomy over my life to say yes, to say no, to say yes right now, to say no, not anymore. Um, And I have worked very hard to get to that place. And I have worked really hard to protect that. And it has, now that has been a labor (laughs) to get to the point where I don't labor. Like it has not been easy. And so I, I don't want it to make it sound like my life is just out here on some like Renaissance tour all the time. Like, no, it's still, it requires lifing, um, but it's on my terms. And I that's, clock in and clock out when I'm ready. Yeah, that's so powerful because what you're saying is oftentimes we're sold in capitalism, like this version of utopia. Like if only you do this or you buy this or you show up like this life is going to be like peaches and cream. And it's like, that doesn't exist. If we all Mm -hmm. walked through a portal where we got rid of all the injustice in the world and everyone had plenty of resources, humans would still be humans. And we still have the task at hand of like figuring out how we want to live our lives and how we're going to relate to each other. Mm -hmm. I think where I just find what you're saying really powerful because there's empowerment in it. I think the difference between putting your energy towards challenges that you're choosing versus ones that other society and other people have chosen for you and you don't know how to get out of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's demoralizing. It's dehumanizing. No, it absolutely is. It's like you're in Ikea. No shade to Ikea, but I really feel like Ikea is hell. Like, I was in there and the signs like just turn left and there's the exit. And I would turn left and it was another store. And then I would turn right and it would be another section. And then I went into a hallway. I'm like, where, do, how do you get out of it? Mm. Like, 
I do not like it here. I do not want to be here. Um, but yeah, there's no, the only time people have peaches and cream is ice cream or the 112 song. Like, that's not how life works. <laughs> like, that's not, not how life works. Um, but when you get to choose your challenges, you also get to choose when you tap out. So much of what you said. One, I'm so glad that we're explicitly stating this because I think that as melanated women, there is something about our relationship to struggle and other people who are struggling that sometimes cause us not to have these explicit conversations, mm-hmm. right? Because, you know, we've in some way been conditioned to feel like we're bragging or or we think we're better than other people. And really, we, we are a forecast of hope mm-hmm. for so many people who've never even considered mm-hmm. the unburdened life. Mm-hmm. Not because life don't be life, and but it's just never been a concept because no one's talked about it. The other right. thing is we would talk about how so many of us believe or have be- believed at some point that once we make a decision one time, that is the forever decision. And I want to say that that has been reinforced and conditioned throughout so mm-hmm. much of our lives. What do you want to eat? As a little kid, you say, oh, I want chicken nuggets. And then they make the chicken nuggets. And then you realize you see somebody else and be like, oh, I want this. And they're like, you chose it. You gonna eat it. Right. Mm-hmm. So from the time we are children, oh, you want to play, you want to cheerlead or you want to play soccer or you want to play basketball. And then you get in there and you're like, I don't like this. You going to finish. I and paid my money I for paid, this. Right. The more You're people invest in a thing, the more they are not willing to let other people back out of it. So we spend a lot of time in hierarchical relationships, starting with our mm-hmm. parents. Right. Mm-hmm. And when the person of authority you know, sometimes asks your input, sometimes does not, but you mm-hmm. find yourself being put in situations where now there is a requirement of your energy, of your thoughts, of your emotions, mm-hmm. of your body, your physical labor. And like you were saying, Hetty, like, and can't get out of that. And then you talked about Ikea. The funny thing is, Jay and I went to Ikea one time, like when we were first dating and I ain't never been back. And I never really thought about it. But as you were talking about, it, I was like, yes. Mm-hmm. there is no me. clear exit nope none at all none and they at all force you to go through all of- <laughs> yes mm-hmm. so when you said that I was like I think that's why I've never been back to Ikea it took it was not okay and then I was talking to the <laughs> workers and they didn't know and I'm like just take me through your exit it was a lot um you you said you t- Hopefully, Ikea is not a sponsor. Um, <laughs> so, sorry, not sorry. Fix your out your, your format. Um, you said something that just, ooh, it hit, it hit. And that's what you do. You know, some, something that hit. You said the more people are invested, the less they want you to change. Welcome to all things connected to healing. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and why, when you start healing, it's such a lonely journey Mm. people don't talk about the loneliness of healing which Mm. is why you require to heal in order to heal consistently and sustainably it requires a community and it may not be the community you're healing from Mm -hmm. because people are invested in you being a certain version of yourself right and even down to the you said you were going to show up on saturday to help me unpack well then i created this version of you in my mind that said you were going to do this at this time and then for whatever reason if i can't um, hopefully it's a legitimate reason, legitimate for me. I'm not just flaking with people that I care about. A, a legitimate something came up. I don't actually have capacity. I shouldn't have said yes for the first place. It's like, well, that's not the version of you that I know. 
what's wrong with you, change it, right? Mm -hmm. Now you've inconvenienced me and made me uncomfortable. And I get that's the difference between like just flaking on people because you be a shady and you should have never said yes in the first place Um, or you should have never committed to a thing in the first place. And so that once people get it invested, like in a certain version of you, a certain storyline, it really is hard for them to walk that back. And I think that's why it's so hard for people to pivot when they want to change their mind or make a new decision. We do that all the time with celebrities. We're like, I thought they were gonna, well, I mean, they're human. They get, they get to, they get to reroute. Like mm-hmm. let them reroute. Mm. Um, and that is really hard for people to sit with and comprehend and be okay with. And so most of the time we won't change our mind, not because we don't want to, but because of the ramifications and repercussions of how it may impact other people. Ooh, you were just telling my life story, <laughs> my healing journey right there that resonates so much and I think again it goes back to conditioning like you were bringing up Shonda as melanated women but just in general this society is constructed for us to all consume each other and create transactional Mm. so when you say like I can't come help you move Saturday somehow the the disappointment of not having that person come help you translates to like, and what kind of person are you? It becomes a character judgment that's used to gaslight and manipulate that person into either complying or maybe not complying, but feeling crappy. Mm -hmm. And what I heard in both of you, you know, and Ashante, when you started saying like, nothing's a labor for me and the way that you've constructed your life. Yes. It takes energy. There's challenges. But what I heard is like your self-narrative and your confidence, it does not require someone to buy into your story of like approving the way that you have constructed your life. And so Mm -hmm. much of social conditioning is like, I want other people to like and affirm what I'm doing. And it's like, well, we're not going to get free that way. Mm -hmm. And then I'll go ahead, Ashante. I was going to say, I I love that that's what you heard. Also, almost there. But when I have those moments where I need the validation and the confirmation and all that from people, I'm just intentional about kind of going inward. Mm. Like, you know, it's like when you're really sad, like, well, I can't speak for anyone else. When I'm really sad, I don't drink because we don't need, I don't, I don't need to add anything else that I need to work on in my life. Mm -hmm. I need nothing, right? I don't need to add anything else in my life. I don't need the downward spiral boost. Mm -hmm. I don't need any more help. The same way I don't need to watch scary movies. My imagination scares me enough. I Mm -hmm. need no assistance here. Um, And so I I do still struggle with with that, right? Needing, Needing that from other people. What I am learning is when I am in that space, when my body needs that, when my body craves that, I intentionally don't go look for it. Like I intentionally like, okay, you need to turn inward because you don't need to get that from someone. You don't need to get that drink from someone external because it's not going to be sustainable. And truth be told, it's not going to be from someone that is loving and caring and kind. It's probably going to be from someone that on some level, I need them to validate something I don't believe about myself anyway, and they're not going to respond the way I want them to. And so it becomes a low-key self-sabotaging way of engaging folks. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, we, we being fully honest, I do mm-hmm. still struggle with it. Mm-hmm. I'm just aware now that when I do, I, 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 that means I'm not meant for human consumption at mm-hmm. that time versus mm-hmm. doing what I have done in the past 
and reached out and people pleased and le- and mm-hmm. yeah. So I haven't I haven't solved it. I just have mm-hmm. kind of paused on the 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 drug I used to use to soothe it. If Come that on. makes sense. That's deep. And I want to take it back to this analogy of you said you were going to come on Saturday to help me. Right. So the person changes their mind and there's this narrative that the person who was going to be helped makes up about the person who's no longer going to help. Mm-hmm. I think it's also talking about the person who asked for the help in the first place. When the person said yes, there was a narrative they made up about themselves based on that person's yes. So sometimes mm-hmm. when the person flakes or can't do it or something comes up, it it's part I was relying on you when you said you would, and I make up a narrative about your character. But I think what really starts to happen is they go, what is it about me that you no longer want to help? Why are you rejecting me? What, what, what happened? Why am I not good enough? And so there is also this reliance that we've had on self-perception and narrative based on external stimuli. And to be clear, that is human development. Mm-hmm. A child knows who they are because someone tells them we are born and on a birth certificate is a name. And what that name is, is what is often that that child is called. So human development says I learn who I am by what is reflected to me. Mm-hmm. However, which I feel like every time I talk, it comes in some way back to parenting or working with young people. So many people are stuck in their own trauma that what they reflect to that child is their own stuff. Mm-hmm. instead of who that child actually is so so many of us have grown up with this skewed mirror of who we are because the people around us their own trauma insecurities and things they haven't worked through is what is reflected back to us so when we mm. are an adult trying to move and someone says they're going to help and then something happens whoever that you were at three years old and you were told you were shows up Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, why they don't? Why don't they like me? And you like, bro, I got mm-hmm. into a car accident. <laughs> like, like, hey, I can't be there. But rational and logical thought can really get skewed to the side when that little person inside of us goes, "This is personal. This is about me." And and mm-hmm. I I feel like the combination of what we've been saying paints a holistic picture of like this human thing, this relational thing. Mm-hmm. You be thanging. That's all I'm saying. Oh, can you say more? Can you, can you, did, okay. So we, all right, let's, we're all at her TED talk. Yeah, cool. Um, this is why I love talking to you both. Okay. Can you say more about, how do I want to say this? Can, can you say more about at what point who you are is not a reflection of what you see and what's around you? How do you switch? Because mm-hmm. I think oftentimes people get into the space like, oh, that's true. That's real. That's what's happening. Okay, well, now what? Yeah. Can Can you talk a little bit about now, once you've had the awareness, what do you do to start to stop reflecting others and start returning to you? Yeah. Yeah. That's an excellent question. I think it's fair that like we said, everything happens in community and relationship. It's not a process that I believe can, can, you can go it alone. There are moments when like you were talking about Ashante, where you step to the side and say, I got to turn inward, but that Mm -hmm. turning inward is only helpful when the inward is fortified. When Mm -hmm. the inward feels secure and stable and authentic and honest. And so I think leading up to that is one, finding the connections in the community that do reflect who you are. 
And and that for me, that's mm-hmm. not as easy said as done because if we don't right. know who we are, any community that gives us a reflection, we can feel like, oh, that's me, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, and or a and, version of us in that particular season. In that moment, right? So there for me and some people I work with have been able to go back to some basic things. Our body doesn't forget. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So there's this thing where we rely on autobiographical memory to be the story. The who, the what, the where, what do I remember cognitively? So even when we started the podcast today, I was saying like, <laughs> I, today is a writing day. Writing days are hard because I invite the part of me that is telling their story to take the, you're in the driver's seat. And what I have found is I don't remember a lot of shit. Okay. To be fair, my memory is unfair compared to most. I I have a really good memory or strong memory, I I should say. I do not. I have the memory of Dory. Okay. Yeah. No, whatever the opposite of Dory is like. I, I have this memory. However, there are still things that I don't remember. So first thing is get in your body. You really want to recall? Get in your body because mm-hmm. smells and sights and temperature and taste, the all of those things can activate. You, you know, you like, dang, this thing, I feel like something happened in sixth grade. I want you to go to the year you were in sixth grade. I want you to look at the popular songs at the time. And I want you to identify the one you know you used to rock out to. Oh, I just, the song just came in my head. Right? Play that song and don't think, just sit in that song. And if you allow that sixth grader in you to come forth, you will start to remember all kinds of stuff that you forgot because our parts, our littles, they are, they are story holders. And if we allow them, they can be storytellers. And so we start to develop the data of, oh, that's who you were in that moment. What brought you joy? Oh, what did we want to do before somebody else told us we couldn't? What is the thing, right? All this stuff. And and so I do this five-minute exercise and I have people do this five-minute exercise. Set a timer for five minutes. And if you're confused about something or you want to know, I, I, I pose the question, who are you and what do you need me to know? And I invite that part to either write me a letter, draw me a picture or move my body. I did this one time and it's just, you stand, I just let my body go. And all of a sudden, I was running a group who was doing it, right? So I was just sitting back, but I was like, I'm going to do it too. Timer was going. I was in my office and I started moving. I started doing all these like ballet moves. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. But the whole goal is don't try to figure it out. Don't try to process while you're writing or be like, I can't draw. None of that matters. You're just lending your body to the part of you that wants to speak. So I did all of this like ballet moves. I was on the floor. Y'all, I was, I was getting it. So after that, you take a couple minutes and then you journal about the experience, deep breaths, all the things. And what emerged was my five-year-old self who said, see, we really are a ballet dancer. We're not too fat. And I recalled having ballet lessons when I was five years old in my cute little leotard, we were picking up marbles with our toes. And at some point that I don't have the autobiographical memory of who said it or where I was, but somebody told me I was too fat to dance. But when I allowed that little girl, hey, anybody want to tell me, who are you? What do you need me to know? She said, but we really are a dancer, Mm. right? So I believe that the answers we're often seeking outside of us, they're in us. 
they might need some dusting off. They might need some clarity and some clarification. Sometimes they'll come up with something and you're like, oh, I know. Oh, you feel stupid. I got it. Mm, tell me more. And they recall a time in third grade where you answered a question out loud and the whole classroom laughed at you ain't thought about that in 30 years. But that part of you has been holding on to that. And then we get to say, oh, that makes so much sense. Thank you for letting me know you've been holding on to this. Can I add some context? They were other kids like you. They, they, that wasn't an evaluation of your intelligence, sweetheart. I'm so sorry that that stuck with you like that. Can you think of any other times when you said something out loud and that didn't happen or you felt good about yourself? Oh, well, there was this time, right? So for me, it is this yeah. process, long, um, I would even say sometimes tedious, but well worth it process of going back to all the stories that we are holding on to, but we don't even know we're holding on to. And then in your community that's safe, share those things. Because mm -hmm. when you're having that low day, you've shared it, they can reflect it back to you. They can reflect what you've told them to reflect. So when I go in front of an actual mirror, I want the mirror to show me what I actually look like. I don't need its evaluation of me. Mm -hmm. I don't need mm -hmm. the mirror to tell me what it thinks I should be wearing. I just need to show me, I need it to show me what I got on right now. So I found community that as I share these things and I need that moment of reflection, I don't need them to reflect me as they see me. They have the data to mm. reflect me as I see me, as I come to know myself. And if they want to add other things, that's fine. But that helps me not rely on someone else's evaluation, which is what I've done my whole life. Mm -hmm. It allows them to be able to house the data for me. And that's what I try to do for other people. So now that I'm going to stop talking, I don't even remember the original question, but I got in the flow. Hopefully I answered it. I I just, I just want to take a pause. Mm -hmm. yes after that because <sighs> mm. Mm. I know there is nothing wrong, wrong with uh, y'all's audio we are actually just taking a pause Because if that hit y'all the way it hit me, we're just gonna take a pause. <laughs> mm. Okay, thanks. Yeah, I felt it all over. I felt little tingles of stories in my body, moments stored that I don't have like the cognitive memory to give you facts, but I know mm -hmm. stuff has happened. And there was a emotional and somatic response and somehow I stored it and, oof. Yes. That's a beautiful exercise. It is. I'm looking forward to doing it. So am I next week when I book a session with you. Um, so, <laughs> um, when you when you said what song did you hear in sixth grade? Because sixth grade was a transformative year for me, and it was particularly hard. And so the the songs that started to play that were popular, um, 
I'm like, oh yeah, that song reminds me of that experience. That's not happy. That experience, that's not happy. That experience, that's not happy. And then I caught myself and I was like, you did enjoy something. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I did. And then I started to run down the list of the things that I, I did actually enjoy or in the midst of not enjoying or having lunch by myself or, you know, walking around the school so I wouldn't have to interact with people. Looking up one day and being like, my God, these trees are beautiful. Wow, it's really nice outside. Or meeting some of, meeting some people, which ironically, trees and nature are a place where I feel grounded all the time now because it almost became a safe haven. Um, Or meeting other people that society did not deem enough and getting so curious about their stories and it developing in me this amazing curiosity around like people's experience. And so the more different you are, the more quirky you are, the more authentically yourself you are, the more curious I am about you. Um, the more drawn to you I am. And I love that. And I'm realizing, oh, those things that felt like they were really painful and hard, The what birthed out of that was this beautiful curiosity of humanity and humankind and this refusal to judge people by what you first saw. Um, and that would only be developed in spaces where I had to be on the other side. Um, that is a that is a beautiful exercise, and I will be playing this recording back <laughs> and then doing that exercise, and I also will be booking time with you. I wasn't kidding. I smiled, but I meant it. Um, <laughs> my God, that was good. Oh, that was good. Mm. Mm. Because especially with the holidays, ooh, the stories and the family dynamics and the roles we're about to default back into. Oof. And not even by choice, but because, you know, you can change, but if no one around you believes that you have, how do you show that version of yourself mm-hmm. strongly, boldly, unapologetically? And it comes up the most during the holiday, whether oh, you go around the family or not. Patty, I know you, your whole face went, ooh, girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know you got something there. Yeah. um, I feel like I've been like the ugly duckling in my family and not to say that there isn't a ton of love and I hold my family so dear, but I was that weird one that was like sensitive and just like not going with the flow. Um, And I've done, I've, uh, I was sharing before we started recording them. Um, originally from Seoul, but then I grew up in New York City and I've been out here in Los Angeles for 10 years. And what a transformational time the last decade has been to have the geographical distance from my family and to really be able to put into practice a lot of the healing work that I was doing in therapy and coaching and being able to test that with new people. And then going back and just texting with my cousins or getting on the phone with my aunt, like the way that I show up now, it's hella triggering for them because they're like, who is this person? Like, why is she just not listening to what we're telling her to do? 
and that trying to and then being conditioned especially as like in my Korean family as a girl but as one of the younger cousins it's like I know that I have something in me if someone gets triggered and upset I move immediately to resolve that upset and just pausing and like mm-hmm. minding myself it is actually not my job to make this person happy and that doesn't mean that I don't care about them I care about their well-being and I'm here to love them but they are allowed to get upset and it is not my fault just like holding that line I think there's been a lot of confusion in my family relationships because they're like she's not cutting us out She's not being mean. It's just we can't change her mind on certain things that we used to be able to influence her into doing. Um, and it comes up again and again. And just and just like you were saying, Ashanti, like it's not a one-time check the box thing. It's a perennial evergreen thing. Like every time they get upset and I see a little like face tick or whatever, like I start getting upset. Mm-hmm. And then just like being able to hold myself and I'm like, how do I hold my, my needs, my identity and all that it is and not get them. The goal is not to try to get them to validate what I'm doing, like verbally validate or um, tell me what I'm doing is right or start doing it the way that I'm living my life, but just to be me and just to relate to them from that place. And that has been like a whole homework assignment for me. Hey, y'all didn't tell me labor of love was going, okay, now see, adjust myself in my seat, this imaginary tea. Oh, you just said so many things. Oh, you said first that, mm, mm, okay. 11 things just came to my head to say to come out and none of them did hits the because mm, it was <laughs> reset <laughs> that's what happens i've learned when they go mm, it's that you can't say all those words at the same time so it's not like you're speaking in tongues just mm, just mm. first let me say congratulations congratulations oh, i don't think we celebrate you. that yet yeah, congratulations Yes to the work and the things that you name and the process and the reasoning and the cognitive understanding and the awareness and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. We gonna get into all that. Congratulations. Because that's not easy. And intentionally having to come up against that every time and making the decision to choose self. So it is a constant battle, and that's a beautiful example of where our healing comes up against someone else's insecurity. And it is not our job, our responsibility, or our requirement to do their work for them. We do our work so that can be reflected in other people if they choose to, can pick up their own mantle to work on. And I love that. And and I, I honor the fact that you are holding that and protecting that. And so congratulations. Family, family. (laughs) Um, There is a reason in my clinical work, I went into families. And part of it was because 
I could be working with an individual all day, but they continue to engage in the same relational relationships. And so whatever growth and things and the safety that is created within our relationship, which I consider the therapeutic relationship to be a playground, here's where we play, here's where we try it out. You know, being able to move back into these static relationships wasn't helpful. So then I was like, you got to bring somebody. <laughs> I don't and listen, what relationship it is, I don't care. Um, just you got to come in relationship. <clears throat> and one of the 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 things that's happening with me lately is um this came up last night in this group, conflict. The way I used to talk about conflict before was I don't initiate it, but I don't back down from it. I described myself that way for a really long time, but I had to get real with myself yesterday. And I'm like, yo, I initiate conflict all the time. It's, and that's because I I think I have a different perspective of conflict. So years Mm -hmm. ago, when I taught this therapeutic crisis intervention model, it was fascinating to me that the Chinese symbol for crisis was the combination of the symbol for danger and opportunity. And that never left me like danger plus opportunity equals crisis. And it's just like, oh, okay, that's very interesting. And I initiate conflict because I don't think that conflict is always with another person. I think that we are constantly in conflict with our own beliefs, with our own thoughts, with our bodies, with relationships. And so when I started listening to you, Hetty, about like what you do to show up with your family and the intentional decision to choose self. And I start to realize one of the things that's been important for me lately is I have to clarify my own beliefs about who I have said people need to be versus Mm -hmm. who they actually are, who they have demonstrated that they are time and time again, because what I have found is most people are consistent. If nothing else, Mm -hmm. when we don't like (laughs) what they're doing the thought and the belief that they are going to somehow change and become different is the conflict that we're in not with them because they are who they are and they have shown you who they are and so for me it has been okay I feel this conflict with this person in my family but do I really have the conflict with the person or do I have this internal conflict with myself about who I want them to be feel like I need them to be you know want them to be And I'm going to be 100% feels a little vulnerable. I mean, I know I live out vulnerable, but I had to make a decision. I don't have a sister. My mother has another daughter. Mm. And when I'm, when I was able to say that it was hard, it was hard because I got sisters. They're not biologically related. And there is a certain quality and texture of the relationship with my sisters. And Mm -hmm. I realized that my longing and my desperation and my pain, wanting someone who's biologically related to me and connected to me through a mother to be my sister, it probably ain't going to happen. So the conflict wasn't with her Mm -hmm. because she is who she is, right? And I can hold that neutrally. She's who she is. But when I was able to tell myself, hey, your mother has another daughter. You share this woman in common because for most of our lives, we communicated through my mama. Oh, how so and so? Oh, she good. How Shonda? She good. Like we didn't talk to each other. We just knew how each other were doing through her. There was something, there was a piece that released in me when I realized that I wasn't really mad at her. 
I was coming into conflict with this idealized version of the relationship I wanted to have with her. Mm. And by, and, and as a result, I had unfair expectations of her. I wanted her to be who, not who she was. And was constantly setting her up to fail and self-sabotaging yourself. Every because time. Because you know you're not going to be disappointed. That. Yep. Like we get addicted to this appointment and it's the narrative we've now created and the identity we've created. And now I need you to be this villain in this way so I can continue to feel this way about you and have it play out in other areas of my life, which is Hetty, why I love what you were saying around like your pause of like, I don't, it's not my job to then help you figure out how to reconcile how you're feeling about how I'm showing up. Mm-hmm. That's, that I, that's not on my W two, or my or my ten ninety nine. And or listen, my what you said, Ashante, hit me because what it is is, I needed to have some justification for that sadness and disappointment that I felt. Right? It was it. It almost became you said addictive. You're so right. Like it was so necessary for me to keep adding data points to why I was justified to feel sad and disappointed about this relationship. So you're right. We go into these relate. We set them up for failure. Like mm-hmm. we and go. You're, you're creating a file cabinet, adding more folders in of like why they're rejecting Ooh. you, Ooh. why they're rejecting who you are. Actually, we're setting them up for success because we're trying to get them to do the very thing that we want them to do. Well, that's what I was saying. That is the right. I was like, they're actually succeeding at the very thing Mm -hmm. that we need them to do so we can continue telling ourselves the story we need to tell ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. See, they did it again. See, I knew they wasn't gonna do this. See, that it is, right? It is like see, this is why they don't choose me because I'm not even my own sibling won't for me. Even my own mother doesn't care about even my own father will not. Yeah, maybe they've been like that. Mama Maya said, "When someone shows you who they are, believe them." Mm-hmm. The problem is, we don't. <laughs> we want to believe the them that will help us continue to be the us that serves the narrative and the identity that makes us feel most familiar. Come on, not safe, but familiar. Yeah, yeah. Shonda, Ooh. I had a similar experience. There was many years maybe like 12 13 years ago in therapy part of a mantra that I had to like get comfortable saying out loud writing it down is just my father does not love me the way I want him to love me and that's just a fact it is no judgment of my lovability or about him it's just not happening And repeating that statement over and over was really like challenging at first because when my therapist first said it, I was like, what are you talking about? I wanted to still litigate like, well, he should have done this and should have done that. And he made me feel like crap about myself, basically saying I'm unworthy of love, which was the meaning making I was doing in my own mind. And part of the healing process was saying just the factual statement like you were saying about your biological sister yeah Mm -hmm. and and what I also believe is that why it's so challenging for us is because cognitive dissonance hurts Mm -hmm. say that again yeah (laughs) say it again say that 
the reason why we continue see I can never say it again because it'd be gone but cognitive dissonance hurts y'all it physically hurts it does the brain is not equipped to hold opposing viewpoints at one time and it'd be comfortable which is why so much of the work we do is in the body because the body has more capacity to hold nuance. But we spend so much time in our head. And so the reason I that came up for me in saying cognitive dissonance hurts is that if it hurts for you, it hurts for that five-year-old inside of you too. It hurts mm-hmm. for that 10-year-old inside of you too. So now we're growing and we're healing and we have this different narrative. I am worthy of love, period. I am that. worthy of love, period. I am worthy of love, period. But that 10-year-old inside of you does not have that story. So now we introduce this narrative and they're trying to hold what they, the interpretation of their lived experiences now with this new narrative that they didn't have lived experience around. And so when we move in these relationships, particularly, particularly ones that have that history, we will go back into that cycle because it's like, I understand this. This is familiar. This is reliable. I know what to do with this. Yep, you're going to say that. I'm going to say that. You're going to say that. My feelings going to be hurt. I'm going to withdraw. Like, we got the plan. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. we come in and we say, I'm I'm worthy of love regardless. And that, that part is like, wait, what, I'm, what am I supposed to do with that? I, like, what you, I, what, what you mean? You're like, I, I brought all my stuff for, for it to be this situation. What am I going to do with all this stuff? I packed all the things. I've, this is how the sleepover goes. We do, this, mm-hmm. we do this, we do this, we do this. What do you mean we're changing the agenda? What am I supposed to do with all the stuff I, pre- I prepared and I packed for this argument and this engagement and this conversation? And Hattie, that's what's happening with, with the people when they engage you. They're like, mm-hmm. she's not being mean. She's not being, I don't, I, mm, I don't know how to engage this. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know how to I argue don't with now. this. I don't I don't under. And the, the malfunction, what's happening? Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, I'm just, I'm just showing up in this particular truth and being okay with it. I'm just showing up in this particular truth and being okay with it. And that's why I said congratulations earlier, because that's such a hard place to get to in life. And then specifically having to activate it, because <laughs> it, it's an mm-hmm. activation, right? Activate it with family. The people who were supposed to be your first protectors, first providers, mm-hmm. first engagers, and where most of us feel the most betrayal. I, what you're saying, Ashante, um, brings me back to something Shonda talks about on the podcast a lot. So, Shonda, get ready to preach um, hey. about how sometimes we do so much work trying to figure out things that are none of our business. Mm. Because like as a child, like, yes, you're having an experience. And in my case, I had one abusive parent, but it was not my job to figure out what was going on with my father. Right. And it was really about trying to figure out how I can heal and get my needs met. But so much of my energy and attention went to figuring out this man of like, why is he acting this way? And Mm -hmm. can I do something to get him to act another way mm-hmm. and then releasing that need to fix or manipulate and be like, I actually have no idea what's going on inside that relation uh, inside of that person, because we mm-hmm. do not have an intimate relationship. And mm-hmm. 
the way that I know him, he does not have the capacity for that type of self-reflection. He wasn't, he mm -hmm. ne never was mm -hmm. given the tools. So I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm going to stop working on this problem mm -hmm. because it is not a solvable thing. What do I actually need and how do I build from there? And that gets me back to Shonda, what you were saying about sisterhood with mm -hmm. non-blood sisters chosen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, that's, that is so, whew. because the thing that you were naming initially as a, as a child was this, this, it actually felt like that was about safety. It wasn't about trying to understand so I can fix mm -hmm. it. It was about safety. Right. And most things initially start out with our little minds trying to make sense of a thing mm -hmm. so we can be safe. Oh, this is ha this happens like this. Let me respond this way or don't respond this way so I can still be safe. And the older you get, you get to a point where like, no, this is not about safety anymore because now I can be safe. But now I need to understand mm -hmm. because I need to have closure. And I have a very, very interesting relationship with the word closure because it does not require the other person. It will never require the other person at all, because no matter what that other person says to you, it will not be enough to erase what your body, to your point, Shonda, 80% of what happens to us is in our body. 20% is in our mind. We spend most of the time in our mind, though. What our body needs for closure is never going to be the words that someone says. That's what our mind needs to make something make sense, right? But our body needs whatever it needs in order to reconcile that like, I am enough. This thing happened and closure for me looks like no matter what they say or no matter how they've responded or acted or engaged with me, I need to do these things so I can start feeling more whole. So I can start feeling this, like I can look at this need, identify this need and find somewhere else to fill it in a more healthy and community and healed way. Mm. But that never is gonna require the person that caused the harm that is where it's like oh it is not my business to fully understand or make sense of because no matter what they say it will not be sufficient there will be possibly some instant gratification there will be moments of clarity and understanding and when y'all part ways whether it be romantic partnership family relationship whatever it may be those thoughts two three months later will still trigger you even after that person said what they said yeah it'll be it's it's a balm it's soothing but it will not remove the scar and we expect closure to remove the scar that's it we can't go back and undo that but the reparenting process the work we do to reparent the littles that are inside of us the all of the work that you're talking about Ashante no it doesn't require another person but we really think it does mm -hmm. because we think mom calls that wound I need mom to heal the wound and mm -hmm. really that part of you that was wounded just needs what it needs yeah so when you if people can think about a time where you know they were used to things going a certain way and then they showed up in an environment and it went different if you're attuned enough to your body you're like oh I that felt different right that's part of the healing if, if the different was something that was healing and, and, and right, right, right. Things like that, but the people really get stuck. I need this person to explain to me why they did it. Listen, most of the time they don't know. Most of the time it was a trauma response for them. That's explanation, not excuse. If I required the people who hurt me to heal me, I would not be sitting here 
on this podcast with y'all. Some of them are dead. There are some people I will never get closure or resolution because they literally are not on this plane to give it to me. But those parts of me that need healing, here's the thing. I can give it to them. The -hmm. part of me that said no one ever saw me. No one ever truly saw me. But then when I have a feeling or a sensation emerge and I'm like, "Mm -mm, I ain't got time to deal with that. I'm doing the same thing to myself that was done to me. What we don't realize is we end up doing the same thing to ourselves that have been done to us. You go, people, I never had a voice. When I was growing up, I didn't have a voice. And then when the parts of you try to have a voice and you go, oh, I ain't trying to feel that. Let me go distract myself. Mm -mm, Let me go be with somebody else. Right. That's the familiar, right? It is the familiar. It's gotten you through. It's, it, it's helped you not feel the pain. But when you do that, it's the same thing that happened when you were the, give it a voice. You're going to give yourself closure to yourself. Yes. You're going to give yourself your own closure. You know what I'm saying? Perpetuating the pain that was brought on by another person. And when we do, we start treating ourselves different. Yeah. And we the output is different. So what Hetty is talking about is showing up in that different space. Right. Mm -hmm. And what I will say all the time and staying by it is so many of us believe that we teach people how to treat us by how we treat them. That's why we go an emotional bankruptcy, trying to always make deposits into people and relationships that we (laughs) never get to make a return on. We teach people how to treat us by how we treat ourselves consistently. Mm -hmm. Now, Mm -hmm. do they always do it? No, but that's not our business. And the example that will forever be with me is Jay, don't wear a shoe that ain't a Jordan. Okay, if you know him, you know he got married in Jordan. He will be buried in Jordan. Well, actually, we're going to be cremated. It's a whole different story. We're figuring it out. But he but there will be a J somewhere. <laughs> somewhere. On the urn. <clears throat> okay, on the urn. Jumpman symbol. <laughs> like, if you know him, you know. Like, that's just it. Whether it's a casual shoe, that's what he wears. Now, he has never, to my knowledge, gone to anyone and said, you need to buy me some shoes. He's never said that. But if someone chooses to buy him shoes, you know what they're going to buy? If they're a little bit conscious, they're going to buy him some J's because, well, that's what Jay wears, right? They don't have to like them. They don't have to wear them themselves. They don't, they can think they are stupid and overpriced. They, all the things. So the options are get them the J's or don't buy them nothing. Adidas and Reebok are not an option because that's how he treats himself. He didn't ask anyone to do anything for him that he was not doing for himself. So people treat him accordingly or not. But then if you don't want to be in relationship, what, then you get that choice. And I feel like where I'm at right now is I realize how manipulative I was in an attempt to stay connected and safe and how much I always stole people's autonomy. Because when I moved into their life and made myself indispensable, when I put myself in position to meet needs before they even realized they had needs, it was me trying to manipulate my own positionality in their lives. So that they would always need me. They, I, I was taking away their choice. Now people get to not choose me. And there's freedom for me that I am no longer expending 85 to 90% of my energy trying to convince people to choose me. I can take all that energy and live the life that ain't burdened that we was talking about at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I can take that extra energy and take a nap. I can take that extra energy and say, what do I want? Because growing up, I did not feel like I had choice. I didn't get to choose who I wanted to be friends with. I had to sit and wait to see who was willing to be friends with me. 
I didn't get to choose the kind of romantic partner I wanted. I had to wait and see who would, who would tolerate me. That's how I felt. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't get to choose what I want. I just need to see who's willing to choose me. Mm-hmm. And as you grow and start to heal from that, it's not that it doesn't ever come up. The thought you might automatically start moving into some of that process, but it's the power of the pause to go, hold mm-hmm. on. Oh man, it, does it hurt that you didn't choose me sometimes? But I realize when I be hurt, I realize I would, I didn't choose you. I'm here sad and upset because you ain't choose me. And for real, for real, I ain't choose you. I don't, I don't want to be connected to you, but man, it hurts when you ain't choose me. Don't be mad about that. Give that a voice. Go to that part that felt healing because that part of me that's hurt right now, she didn't know that choosing someone was an option. Mm-hmm. So I love introducing my littles to new concepts. Ooh, mm-hmm. I got something to share with you. Guess what? We get to choose. I know it feels so crazy. I feel so crazy. Let's practice. What do you want to eat tonight? All of a sudden, this part of me, it's like, huh? No, you get to choose. I'm letting you, let's practice. We understand that we got to practice in order to heal and get new behavioral patterns and thought processes. But I don't think sometimes we realize that the parts of us that are inside of us also need opportunities to practice. So healing right. feels stuck and hard sometimes because we like, I got, I've been working on this for three years. I, 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 but have you introduced it to the parts of you that swell up in the times of stress? And I'm Again, I understand it cognitively 20%, mm-hmm. but it has not been introduced to my body 80%. And yes, it's going to take longer for our body to adapt it, uh, to, to take it on. Because that's 80% of us that has to like, oh, okay, we're, we're feeling like the 20% like, we already figured it out. Like, why are you not over this already? We only had 20% worth of healing to do. I got 80. Leave me alone. Um, but so something that you said We need earlier. to override yes. all of the standard operating procedures in the body when you're talking about introducing a new concept. It's like, yeah, you're like, what? What is this? The onboarding process is going and to it's take not- longer than the 20%. Totally. And you're not starting from a blank slate. You're starting from years of lived experience orienting to reality in a very specific way. So it takes It is going to take time, baby, to turn an egg from a yolk to a hard boil takes at least seven minutes. Why do you think? Why do you think? <laughs> you better do, come if on. you want to be and the only way that works is boiling water. So maybe if you don't want to be in the boiling water of it all. If you want the, if you want the slow growth, it's going to take a little bit more time, Mm. but I want to go back to something that you said, Shonda, and this kind of becomes the, um, the, the lexicon that especially melanated women use consistently, right? These, these sayings that treat people how you, or no, 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 no. What did you say? If you want people to treat you a certain way, treat them that way. Yep. Um, all these, these little sayings and, you know, things like that. The, the thing that I have, uh, invited people both others and myself to ask when those come up, because we have so many in the South, is who told you that? And what do they benefit from telling you that? Like, what is the benefit to them telling you that? Mm. You preach in the three questions. I've said this on countless podcasts. Three questions I encourage myself and others to ask when they encounter any belief. First question, who told you that? Where did you learn it? Second question, is it true? Slash, is it still true? Because something that used to be true might not still be true. And might not be true. Who is benefiting and who is being harmed from my belief in this? When this is said. 
And it's, it is just a, and you know, sit, sit with the answer. Some answers take a little bit longer than others, but <laughs> the theme that continues to come up in today's conversation is just like, it's okay to get curious. Where did that come from? Why am I doing that? I think oftentimes specifically in the therapeutic and healing space, it is very easy when we're in the bubble. Like even now when people are listening to this podcast, like you're in the bubble, all this makes sense. Mm -hmm. All of it is like, Ooh, that's a good point. Ooh, that's the thing. And then life happens. And then it's Tuesday at four 15 and you are being triggered by the real life things that are showing up that create the issue that you were hooping and hollering and snapping your fingers to on the podcast or in the session. And the work really is what happens when life meets your breakthrough. Mm, and it's not going to always. What, 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 happens? <laughs> what happens when life meets your breakthrough? Mm. Because everyone's not going to feel your breakthrough the way you feel in your breakthrough. It does not make it any less of a breakthrough. But the work and the healing comes in how you stand firm in that breakthrough in spite of Tuesday at 4.15 showing up the way that it did. Despite Thursday at 9.30 in the morning choosing violence. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's where the community comes in. That's where, Shonda, you were talking about, you start to work on engaging and gaining a community who can reflect back to you, who you need them to tell you you are in moments when we need to break the glass in, in case of emergency. Yes. And I know that's so much easier said than done. And I know everybody has at least one person. And even if that one person starts out being you, it starts there anyway. Everyone has at least one person to be like, nah, boo-boo, you enough, you're enough, you're enough, you're enough. Because you say that enough times to yourself or whatever that phrase is or whatever that statement is or whatever that thing is that you don't feel yet, but you need to say because you have to give it to yourself because dad couldn't give it to you. Sister couldn't give it to you. Mom couldn't give it to you. Ex-husband couldn't give it to you. Your body starts to believe it because it continues to hear it. That 20% is like, mm, I'm sure I don't believe that, but it's only 20%. It'll forget quick enough anyway. But the 80% of your body will start to feel it when you say it. It will start to resonate in your chest in a way that implants in you. And it will not be able to be removed. And so when those moments happen and you your breakthrough needs life, you can go back to, I am enough. I am worthy. I am, I am, I am. And now community, I need you to say it to me too. Cause I only had four in me. I need, and I need 10. So I mm-hmm. need y'all to spot me on the six. Beautiful. Letting that hang so all those affirmations and mantras could just marinate in our bodies. What a powerful, powerful conversation. And this was so fun. Y'all can, can't see the facial expressions and the body language, but um, I just met Ashante like an hour ago and <laughs> I can tell what an amazing coach and facilitator she is because I feel like between the two of you I just went through another healing session just recording a podcast so 
I want to thank you. And if our audience wants to get in touch with you and learn more and work with you, where can they find you? I'm so bad at this part. Um, not said all these things. I'm like, mm, I get small. I don't know. How can you show up? Girl, I'm enough. I am worthy. I'm enough. I am worthy. I'm enough. See, I got to still do it for myself, mm. y'all. Um, you can find me on my website, the Axon Group, T-H-E-A-X-O-N-G-R-O-U-P-I-N-C.com. Uh, you can book a session through there. You can go to my IG, The Recovering Perfectionist, because we are all in absolute recovery. Uh, also, I actually just launched a limited time YouTube series with the Loveland Foundation called Unraveled. And we are doing a four-part series on Loveland's YouTube channel where we're breaking down words that folks have kind of just thrown around from a healing and health perspective. And we're actually breaking down what it means and centering melanated women and femmes in order to give practical solutions. Uh, on how to just take care of yourself and protect yourself. And so that's called Unraveled. It's on um, Loveland Foundation's YouTube channel page, whatever that might look like. So I would love if you could watch it, like it, share it with your friends, share it with your foes, share it with people you don't like. That may be part of why y'all are having friction because they have their own heels that are happening. Um, but I would say those are the three ways. And if you see me in BK, what's up? How you doing? people. Thank you so much, Ashante. We're going to definitely link to all those links in the show notes. And um, just want to give a big thank you and shout out again for being such an amazing guest today. Um, and I also want to shout out the Labors of Love podcast team. So um, Shonda, my co-host, love you so much. Mm. If folks want to find you and work with you, where can they find you again? You can find me at www.thelaborsoflove.com. We're on all the major social media outlets and we got a YouTube as well. Awesome. And you can find me at rosalee.org, R-O-S-A-L-E-E, -E, the name of my mom. And thank you so much to our producer, Jay Sugg, Trey Angel for the music, Stephanie Jeff Spencer for doing our social media so all of you can find us. And um, from the entire Labors of Love podcast team, thank you for listening. Till next time, be well. <laughs>